0: right? It's not a new thing. We didn't invent this. Um, Well, we did in a way. But the truth is that people have been passing the blame from the very beginning, right? It's not my fault. It's his fault. It's her fault. It's the snake's fault. It's your fault. Why is the tree there? You know, there's all kinds of questions about who is to blame. And partly that's because we don't want to be at fault. We were created in the image of God no matter which creation story we're talking about. And Despite that, we have been given the most incredible gift of all the universe. And it's not the kind of gift that we look at in our Bill of Rights. It's not the kind of gift that we talk about in European philosophy. Instead, it is the gift of choice. We have been empowered by God to choose. We can choose God's way or we can choose our way. And God has given that to us. We call this free will, and we are able to make decisions that will affect our lives based upon whose will we want to follow. Unfortunately, very recently, here in Charlottesville and the surrounding area, we saw people who made bad choices. We saw people who made choices that were sinful and brought evil, not only into our lives, but in our community, and quite frankly, they have forever devastated multiple lives. Because when hate came to Charlottesville, people died. People suffered. People were beaten, and they were battered, and they were bruised. They were made to feel afraid. And all of that is a sin. And I was up in Pennsylvania, very far physically removed from that, officiating a wedding. And while I was there, I was thinking to myself, Dear God, what have we done And the truth is, it's what have we chosen to do? Empowered with choice and a rational mind and the ability to manifest our will and to create, we did this. And I'd love to completely distance myself from that and say, I wasn't even there. However, I am part of the family of humanity. And we can no longer look at it as those people and us we are part of a global community, and what one group does affects all of us. It affects us in such a powerful and profound way. That continued to be reiterated for me over the last week as I returned back here to Crozet, and I was immediately inundated by countless church members who were completely distressed at the way in which their community was being portrayed. We have people within our church family who are part of the Charlottesville police. We have people in our church family who are administrators in the city of Charlottesville, people who are at all levels of involvement with the University of Virginia. And I read and I saw what people were saying about us. And I was angry. I was angry at the way that people here were being made to suffer. I was angry at the way people co-opted your pain and used it as political slams. I was very angry at the way in which we were being portrayed. And I finally had a conversation with one of my friends who lives in Northern Virginia and was freely utilizing social media to pontificate in a political spectrum. And I informed this person that just because you follow CNN on Twitter doesn't mean that you know what happened. Just because you have access to Facebook doesn't make you an expert on Charlottesville. Because the truth is that in addition to the hatred and the violence and the evil that they let loose in Charlottesville from those who came to protest and proclaim publicly their hate, we also suffered from those who were victims of hubris, those who thought that they knew so well and they were going to tell all of us down here what's wrong with us. And so I reacted to that. I reacted to that with great rage. I reacted to that with great sorrow. I reacted to that with a lot of verbalization. And my poor husband had to listen to it all in a hotel room. And he did. He graciously listened to it. And that was my reaction. It was visceral. It was righteous. It was full of anger. At how could people treat others like this? On all sides of the spectrum, how can human beings created in the image of God Most High, the embodiment of love, act like this? And then how, once people act like this, can we continue to compound it by making people suffer more? How can we do that? What is wrong with us? Well, that's a long list, isn't it? What is wrong with us? And then I did what... I should always do. I did the Christian thing. I stopped. And I prayed and I read my Bible and I asked God to remove the anger from my heart and let me see clearly and I asked God to help me respond. Because there is a difference, is there not, between reacting and responding? Reacting is immediate. It is visceral. And sometimes it is right. But we aren't called to be a people of reaction. We're called to be a people of holy response. And so I prayed and I just asked God, grant me the words. And not the words I had been yelling. Give me the words, God, that you would have me give to your people. And that's what was shared with you in worship last week. That's what came forth. And trust me, there was a lot of growth between what I reacted and what I responded. But that's who we are. Over and over again in Scripture, we see God's frustration with humanity. We see God getting engrossed in the evil of our lives and just wanting to wipe the slate clean. And then God stops and says, no, I'm not going to do that. I did it once, and I'm not going to do it again. We're going to work through this, and it will be long, and it will be painful, and it will not be pretty, but we are going to do this. Now, the doctrine that you might have heard concerning this a little bit is called original sin. And the Catholic Church, the largest Christian, Christian denomination in the world, has its doctrine of original sin, and it is not our doctrine of original sin in the United Methodist Church. Their doctrine states that when Adam, and it focuses more on Adam than it does Eve, when Adam ate the fruit, which, by the way, was not an apple, just so you know, it just says fruit, ate the fruit that he was corrupted, that he brought sin into the world. We refer to this classically as the fall. And so the Catholic Church believes that when Adam sinned, that every human being thereafter inherits upon birth that sin, which is why the Catholic Church baptizes infants. Because even at birth, they have inherited the guilt and the sin of Adam. We do not believe this in the United Methodist Church. We believe instead that the story of Adam and Eve presents to us a corruption of our nature. That in the ability to have our choice, our free will, that we can enact our will, which is often against the will of God and therefore sinful. And that every human being is created with the ability to choose and enact their sin. We now, by nature, are corrupted. And I've told you before, you know, I don't look at a child, a baby, and go, wow, you're sinful. I never do that. But once about the kid's about 18 months, you can start to see it rear itself. They get mobile and they get vocal and they get very physical. And we see that. And it's not that your 18 month old is evil, absolutely not. They're human. They're human. And the United Methodist Church, we baptize infants because we believe long before we are able to choose and manifest sin that God's grace is for us. That's why we baptize infants. Because long before they can utter their first slander, long before they can punch somebody or hit somebody, long before they can choose to enact sin, God has loved them, redeemed them, and will sustain them with grace. So we baptize for that reason. Now, John Wesley preached on this, and there's a great sermon actually called Original Sin by one of our founders in the United Methodist faith. And John Wesley in that sermon talks about the sickness, that when Adam and Eve ate the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, that it made humankind sick, bent and ever inclined to sin, that given the choice between righteousness in God's way and our ability to manifest our Our will, we will tend towards us. And the truth of that is because our way is easy. It's our way. And quite frankly, sometimes it's very gratifying. And so we sin. Now, if John Wesley were privy to all of the advancements we've had in genetics now, I believe John Wesley would rewrite that sermon on original sin, and he would talk about the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil twisting our DNA. That something had been turned askew when we ate that fruit and that every human being thereafter was given the opportunity to manifest their will. It was a choice to eat the fruit or not. And they saw it and they thought, this could be good for us. It looks like good fruit. It could help us be more smart. And who doesn't want to be more smart? And so they ate. But the problem was that God said, don't eat. And they thought, well, maybe we know what's best for us. Maybe we know exactly what we should be doing. And so they ate. And we have been living it out ever since. And when hate came to Charlottesville, we encountered people who chose wrong. They chose the sinful path. And they hurt people and they scared people. And they made people feel less than the sacred beings that they were created to be. And that is evil to do. And if it weren't, weren't bad enough, people died. Heather Hare is dead. Two troopers are dead. And then I watched footage of a young African-American man chased into a parking garage that I frequently park in and beaten with metal pipes. A special ed teacher, as if DeAndre Harris deserved that simply because his skin is darker than mine. That's a sin. It is wrong. And we cannot stand idly by and let that be okay out there. We cannot let this continue. You know, the whole time that I was officiating the wedding of my friend, who I met my first day at orientation for seminary, the whole time I'm with them, they had this little... Weaving of a theme of Star Wars in their wedding. And the guys' boutonnieres had Le- Lego minifigures glued in, you know, with little lightsabers. And the girls, all their bouquets, had like droids sticking out of them. It was very cute, very kitschy. I'm a child of the 80s, so I was all in on it. And I loved this whole thing. And you know, we're like, the force be with you, and also with you. It was very Methodist. It was really interesting. And so as we're going through this and we're, you know, we're combining not only who they are, which is complete Star Wars geeks, God love them, but their love of Jesus Christ and their desire to enter into holy matrimony in a church, a United Methodist Church, as we're doing this, I became so aware of all the little things about Star Wars that have prophetic truth. So Star Wars, of course, if you're not familiar, God love you. If you're not is about the force, this unseen reality that permeates all existence and all living things, and it empowers them and it gives them strength, and we would call this the Holy Spirit. And so they're always saying to each other when they leave Jedi Knights, the force be with you. And we say, the Lord be with you. We talk about this, that we believe that even as we depart from presence with one another, that we send blessings forth with the other. And so that struck me. That was with me. And even though I have tried to raise my son, Luke, who is not named for Star Wars, he's named for the gospel of, even though I have tried to raise my child to completely ignore episodes one, two, and three, try to ignore those. I'm a purist. Um, Unfortunately, there is something very redeeming in one of those movies, and in it, Count Doku is looking at a young Anakin Skywalker who will one day grow up to be Darth Vader, and he says to him, there is much fear in you. I can sense your anger and your hatred, fear, anger, and hate. He senses this unholy trinity in Anakin And if you continue down the series, you'll find out that after a while, while, fear, anger, and hate completely pervert Anakin. He actually is changed not only internally by willing to slaughter innocents, but his external appearance changes too. He becomes outside this monster, this walking behemoth of fear, anger, and hate. And God gave us our own trinity, not only in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but God says to us repeatedly in Scripture, faith, hope, and love. That is what I give to you, and this is what you will draw your strength from. This is the well from which you will dip when you need to be rejuvenated, when you need strength, when you have to stand up to fear, anger, and hate. You will ground yourself in hope, faith, and love. Because how do you combat fear except with your faith? How do you combat anger except with hope that it can be another way? And the only way to combat hatred is with love. We love those who are threatened by this hatred they are threatened physically, they are threatened mentally, they are threatened emotionally, they are threatened spiritually. Because there were people that wondered if the church believes those lies. There were people that wondered if the church of Christendom, if the church of Jesus Christ across denominations was silently supporting what they saw on our streets. And the answer is no. We do not support that. That is not okay. And while I was reacting in a hotel room in Quakertown, one of the things I ranted was, what are these fools going to think when Jesus Christ comes back? The same Jesus Christ that went up is going to come down in a Judean Jewish brown skin sitting on the throne. What are they going to do? I don't know what they're going to do but I know what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna kneel in adoration and worship. I'm gonna give thanks to God that all of my sin is not going to condemn me to an eternity of separation from my Lord and Savior. I'm going to give thanks to God that I have a chance to live every day, starting right now, spreading faith, hope, and love, and rejecting fear, anger, and hatred. In the United Methodist Church, we have three general rules. Do you notice a theme here? Threes. We have three general rules. Do no harm by avoiding evil. We avoid evil, but that does not mean that we don't confront evil. For some, avoiding evil means that I recognize that I cannot have a drink of alcohol without having too many drinks of alcohol. And that by having too many drinks of alcohol, I hurt people. I say things and I do things that bring sin into the world, and so I will abstain completely. That is someone who understands what it means to do no harm by avoiding that which causes them to do evil. For some of us, doing no harm means that we don't go toe-to-toe with hatred embodied in human form, but instead we find ways to serve those who are being threatened. Just as many churches in Charlottesville that day opened up their doors to be a safe sanctuary, to give them water and food and counseling and support and to pray with them, give them air conditioning. Never underestimate the importance of air conditioning. That was one of the gifts that people did by doing no harm and avoiding evil. We are called to that every single day. And if you can't do evil on Facebook, if you can't go on Facebook and not post something that co opts somebody's pain and suffering and makes it your own, then stay off of Facebook. I have tried to live out my maxim, which is I don't post negative things on Facebook. It's made my life a lot easier. And having been on Facebook for now over 11 years, there's a lot of stuff in my background back there that I'm not happy about, but I'm moving forward and I choose not to post things that cause people pain. That is my choice. And I hope that you will join me in the choice of not using social media to beat people down and make them feel any worse than they already feel. Our second general rule is to do all the good that you can. All the good that you can. Not just the good that you can fit in on your schedule, but all the good that you can. Are we as Christians willing to reorient our lives to do good for others? Are we willing to sacrifice our comfort, our leisure, so that we can ensure that we do good? As I was preparing for my sermon this week, I was reading an account by a young man who grew up in Chicago, and he's of Italian descendancy, which is interesting because many Italians don't even consider themselves to be white. They don't consider themselves to be Caucasian. And yet, he had been recruited at the age of 17 by a neo-Nazi group. And he says, I didn't even care what they believed. Instead, they gave me what I yearned for most. A community that accepted me, that was invested in me, that spent their time and their energy and their resources helping me to be something else than the person that I hated being. They found a weakness and they exploited it. And as the church... We should be showing our children and our youth that we are invested in them, that they are a part of this community. And if we as a church, every single one of us, are not involved in some way throughout the year in children's and youth ministry, then we are failing the church. We are failing the church because there are plenty of groups that can't wait to take advantage of the weakness and the vacancy in our children and youth's lives, that want to put their insidious hate into our children and our youth. And we cannot give them that opportunity. We have the chance to raise a generation now who outwardly and vocally rejects the kind of hatred that we saw on those streets. And it's an irrational hatred. I have told you before of my grandfather who was a racist, growing up in Dublin, Georgia, living in Hampton Roads, that he was an absolutely atrocious racist. But he fought in World War II. And if he thought that there were neo Nazis standing out on Virginia soil, he would have a shotgun in his hand. And I'm thinking, but they're standing with the same people that espouse the hate that you feel. That's how insane hate is. It's not rational there's no wisdom to it. It's ugly. It is evil. And it's wrong. It's wrong. And so we have to strive intentionally to do good, all the good that we can. And the last thing which applies to us more than any other will help us do one and two is to attend upon the ordinances of God Those gifts, those means of grace that God has given us to say, this is how you will grow. This is how you will be held accountable. This is how you will learn new things and you will become the incredible, bright, shining gifts that radiate the light of Jesus Christ that I created you to be. Things like searching the scriptures, attending to the ministry of the word, whether reading in Bible studies or listening to sermons, public worship, Private, individual prayer, but also family and corporate prayer. Tending to the Lord's Supper, receiving Holy Communion, fasting and abstinence. These are all things that God commands for us to do so that we may grow and be better. And they are all work. They are work. And it is hard and it is laborious. And there are days that will be long and dark but this is not a game. These are not platitudes. What we are doing here in the church will change the way this world continues. We have the opportunity to affect radical lasting change by those who we bring up in the church and if we as individual Christians and disciples of Jesus Christ are not committed to that at the most fundamental level of who we are and what we do every single day, then this hate will only continue. And I am sick of it. I am disgusted by it. It is a personal affront to me. It is a professional anathema to who we are called to be. And I am drawing a long, hard line. So when I hear it in public now, I will say something. And when I hear it coming out of the mouths of my friends and my family and my church members, I'm going to say something. And I want you to join me. One of the most gracious things I heard this week was from the head of the Council of Bishops, a bishop, And he said to all of the clergy, I want you preaching against this hate. He said, and I understand that for some of you in your churches, you are going to take a big hit for preaching it. I understand that, he said, I have your back. I can't tell you how long clergy have waited to hear that. That you have our back. Someone has my back, and I have your back, and Jesus Christ has all of us. So let us not be afraid. Let us live by those simple rules. Do no harm by avoiding evil. Do all the good that we can. Let us attend upon the ordinances of God so that we can fight fear, anger, and hatred with faith, hope, and love. Always remembering that the greatest of all of these is love. May it be so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen